Hey there, listeners. Welcome to the official WNRG podcast. We believe the best knowledge is knowledge that is shared. Throughout our podcast journey, you'll hear advice from thought leaders, gain insight into areas of expertise other than your own, and hear the inspiring stories of others. This production is made possible with the support of the Women's Network Resource Group and the dedication of our core team. I'm Tara DeLucia. I'm Carmen Pantoja Evans. And I'm Brittany Lemaire. Make sure to text WNRG to 239-355 to have episodes sent straight to your mobile every Thursday morning. And we always want to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts in our buzz group, WNRG Podcast Series, or by tagging us. Hey there, listeners. Brittany LaMare here. And on behalf of the entire WNRG podcast crew, we want to welcome you to a brand new year. Thank you for joining us this week as we play our greatest hits of tips, tricks, and advice from many of our wonderful interviewees from 2018. We wish we had time to include everybody, but we just wanted to give you a brief sample of what you might have missed last year. In this episode, you'll hear from Kathy Eads, Josh Begley, Maria Schaefer, Tracy Richardson, Marla Sanders, William Fleming, and Patty Dale Ty. Well, without further ado, let's kick it off and hear some of these great tips, tricks, and advice. What was the best or worst career advice that you've had received? Um, let's see. I think the best career advice I've ever gotten is that we spend far too much time at work to not have some fun while we're here. And what that really means is try to find some ways to enjoy the work that you do, which I've I've always been able to do. Be challenged, um, but have some fun. Make good relationships with the people that you work with because we spend a lot of time here. We really should be having fun while we're here. Um, it's far too big a part of our lives not to really get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And so I'm always focused on is enough of my day really challenging and fun and exciting or has it become the time when that's not the case anymore and I need to look for my next opportunity? Well, that's good. And that's yeah. something we should always take away and put in our back pocket and have and remember. Right. And a great way for us to have fun at work is to be involved in our environment. And for me, that's been being involved with NRGs. In case anyone out there listening hasn't you know, looked into the IND um, network resource groups, definitely worth your time to go look into. You can visit go slash NRG and learn some more information about that. You know, that's so right, Brittany, because um, that is definitely part of what I call the fun at work. And I would say it's a constant challenge to find time to do NRG activities, but they always energize me for the rest of my work. And I always try to remember Gosh, whatever time I'm investing here, it has such a huge payback in terms of how I feel about the rest of the things that I do. So, Kathy, how has networking been important to you, to your career here or otherwise? Oh, gosh, networking is so important. The network that you create for yourself really um, creates the full experience at work. And being able to talk to people in different areas about what they do and connect what they do with what you do is just hugely important. What kind of mentors have you had? Uh, I think it's important to have both. 
it's a comfort zone sometimes to have a mentor who's a lot like you and you just have that click and things are, you know, you always feel like you can just connect with them. But it's also important to have mentors who aren't like you because they mm-hmm. see things differently than you do. Um, they can point out things that you might not see because they just come from a different perspective. So I have both men and women. I like, I also like to have people who are junior to me as mentors because I think they bring a different perspective than I might get from someone who's my peer or someone who's senior to me. I think all of those uh, mentoring relationships are important. And then you really have to separate who who are your mentors from who are your advocates. And the difference for me is, you know, a mentor is going to give me good advice. I'm going to go to them. I'm going to ask them questions. They're going to give me their opinions. But an advocate is going to talk about me to other people. They're going to advocate on my behalf. When they hear of a position that seems like a good fit for me, they're going to say, hey, have you thought about Kathy for the position? I think Mm -hmm. she'd be really good. And Kathy, when you talk about the advocate versus the mentor, do you use advocate the same as you would use sponsor? I know back. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just, I was thinking the exact same thing. I, it, whenever you're speaking about advocacy, I, I think you are further defining sponsorship and really giving sponsorship a much needed definition because that's been a really big buzzword in you know, the mentoring circle. And I think you've done a really great job to like define that and give examples of how one can do that. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think of the word advocate and sponsor as interchangeable. I think they're very much the same for me. So yes, I'm definitely speaking about people who are my sponsors. So Simon Sinek, he has that YouTube um, start with why. I think he refers to it as the golden circle, but at the center of all of it is like, why do you do what you do? And that kind of leads you to asking what's the purpose and how do you do what you do? And then, you know, what do you do? And I think that was my first exposure to the whole why concept and really like digging in because sometimes the answer is, well, because we've always done it that way. That's such a great opportunity to really dive in deep and figure out if there's a better, more efficient way to do things. But that, that was, um, that was earlier on in my career when I watched that and I was kind of blown away by it. And as a leader, it's just so important to start with the why. So that way you get the buy-in and that way you get the feedback from, from associates on maybe a different angle that you weren't taking into consideration. As you've been talking, you mentioned um, the unconscious bias aspect. Mm. Could you expand a little bit further on the idea and the topic of what an unconscious bias is? Sure. So it's, the un- unconscious biases are those things that are ingrained in us through the way that we are raised or the way you know, well, the way we were brought up or the gender roles that we fall into uh, at birth. You know, sometimes we use the term bossy for, for women who are strong in, in the workplace and, um, and leaders in the workplace. Um, with, in men, you say, well, that's just a strong leader. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yes. And so some, sometimes we do these things and don't even think twice about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, going back to thinking about being empathetic towards everyone else, whether it be women or uh, people of color, uh, is that, that they experience society in vastly different ways than I do. Um, even going to the grocery store for someone, it, they experience those things uh, completely um, different than I do. Um, and even thinking about um, women in the workplace, and you have folks at um, 
that have compounded type things like so, like a, a, a female that is that also is LGBTQ. So you have two different um, worldviews that that interact together. So um, just looking at the way that um, all these things intersect and and understanding that that no one sees things the same way um, is 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 really important in the way that we. Um, address those unconscious biases. And it, it really, you know, going back to my social work background, just being empathetic to folks. And it's not bad, I mean, that that you all, as as females, experience things differently. It's not bad. Um, it's just different. It's just exactly. different. Yeah. Recognizing that mm-hmm. different is okay. It's well, right. the other piece, too, and this is something I've had to learn over time, is that just because I don't necessarily feel the the bias doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. You know what yes. I mean? So it's mm-hmm. so for, for someone to say to another person like, Oh, Brittany, you feel like there's a little prejudice to women in the workplace, that's not that doesn't exist. That doesn't happen. Just because I'm not acknowledging it, it, it exists. It's yeah. everyone's personal reality, the empathy. Mm-hmm. Like you you just have yeah. to be sensitive one's to the fact perception that perception is yeah. one's reality. You can't exactly just, like don't make somebody feel disingenuous or devalue how they're their feeling. Experience. Yes, because yeah. they everyone has different shoes they're walking in every day. Yeah, and if you really start paying attention to it, you start to notice the little things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves um, is when people start an email that says, "Hey guys." Oh my goodness! Yes, I hate <laughs> when uh, when it says when it says, "Hey guys," because we're not all guys. So um, you know, I feel like. Um, when just the language that we use um, can when you really pick it apart can help you dive deeper into some of those unconscious un- unconscious biases so as you've transitioned and moved around to different areas of the business how have you dealt with the ambiguity of not knowing these positions and these roles or- oh sure uh, moving to a business area that I'm initially unfamiliar with is certainly nerve-wracking, and it's a humbling experience because, you know, for, at least in my experience, it's been I always get to start at the bottom of the learning curve. But at the same time, it's so exciting. Uh, I love learning and getting to build new skills and getting to learn new things and getting to meet new people and establish new relationships. So being able to work to advance through a learning curve is always a motivating experience for me. And I don't think one truly overcomes that learning curve because inevitably something new will come up that you'll have to learn too. But in my experience, I feel that most of my professional and frankly personal maturity growth has taken place out of me moving into those ambiguous situations. I think jumping into ambiguous situations requires you to stretch your thinking and to challenge yourself to behave in ways that you may not have operated in before. Uh, I'll give a perfect example. When I got invited to lead our sales compensation practices, I had zero experience working in that space. And I also had zero familiarity with our sales organization and how they did their work. So it was, so when I got asked to move into that role, frankly, I was terrified. Um, and I had also learned that there were several opportunities that they were counting on the next leader to address in that space. So from the get-go, I became very focused on learning about that niche field, networking in that niche field, because it was in those networks that could take on the most learning. And then also learning really quickly about the sales groups, not just who they were, but also understanding how they worked, what they sold, and and how to work most effectively with them. And 
basically just molded the way I operated according to what their needs were, and it worked. And I like how you talk about taking risk. So yes. Sometimes that's what you have to do. You have to step out of that comfort zone and um, and out of that safety net and, yeah. and reach out there. And I think that is a great takeaway mm-hmm. um, that I'm hearing today from you that um, take the risk, uh, learn new things. Yeah, absolutely. It, that's when the most growth takes place. And also, along with that risk is this courage of not being afraid to fail. And, you know, there were many times when I, especially in that transition phase into a new role, where I'd feel like, gosh, I'm not sure I'm really cut out for this, or I'm not sure what I what to do next. And it feels like I'm at the brink of failure. But continuing to forge forward and not letting that intimidate you, I think is really important. And if you fail, you fail. So what? Then pick yourself back up and move on. And I think that's really important, too, because... Failure is also a good learning ground. And if we open ourselves up to the possibility of failing, as long as we're also okay with ourselves doing whatever it takes to overcome that failure, that could be a a very rich learning experience. So for those who are unfamiliar with the Mood Elevator, can you just briefly speak to what that is? Sure. It's, It's a tool that we have. Um, we have a partnership um, with a company called Sendelaney who has provided us some uh, really interesting resources to help think about culture. And when you think about culture, you can think about the different kinds of ways that we understand what's right in, in the organization, how we work around here, what's the acceptable ways to work. And by shifting the culture to be more collaborative, to be more um, supportive of empowerment, and uh, speaking up with candor to make sure that quality is being at the forefront. Part of that means we have to have really good decision-making, and we have to elevate information you know, at the right levels and, and be willing to do that. And the Mood Elevator is a technique that has been taught for a lot of folks that really just at the, at the essence is how we feel influences how we think, and that influences how we behave, and it can therefore you know, influence our decisions, influence what we think what information we pay attention to, um, and so on. And so having a moment to recognize, how am I feeling? Am I frustrated? Am I tired? Am I judgmental? Am I thinking that, that somebody else has done something to me or their, their failure is causing me to be having to do rework and so now I'm mad? I'm probably not going to make the best decisions I'm likely not going to be very collaborative. Um, It's going to be difficult to have trusted relationships when I'm coming from that perspective. So if I can turn it around and change my thinking a little bit and say, well, what else could the story be? Why else could this problem have happened? Now I'm at least curious, Mm -hmm. and I've shifted my thinking, and that may shift my mood. And now if I'm curious, now I'm interested in solving a problem. And I might be able to see that there's some different ways to solve the problem. And then I become a little bit more optimistic about the outcomes. And so my mood actually goes up and I have a higher perspective. And I am able to open my mind to more ideas and build my collaboration. And so I'm going to make better decisions. And so the mood elevator is really just a tool to help us check in with ourselves around what are we feeling, how is that driving our thinking, and how does that drive our actions. You did a fantastic job of describing that. I had no idea this existed. Well, and what's really cool is I've, had, I've heard a few of our senior leaders speak, and they would pull out their little 
they have a little note card or, or mood elevator card mood elevator card and they would reference it and, and just make mention of it while they were speaking to the masses and I thought that was that was pretty cool yeah we're working with a lot of the leaders across the organization to really help them think about how they lead and when I think about even what we're trying to do as a company we're trying to change the way people think about their health and so we have all sorts of different tools and techniques. You know, I wear a watch that tells me to go stand up and walk. Um, I have joined a dash, and I'm going to get uh, an avalanche of emails and reminders to get up and go walk and try to get my 10,000 steps. And I, along with many others, will be circling our bedrooms at you know, 10 and 11 o'clock at night to get those last few hundred in. Why do we do that? Why do we have these reminders? Because behavior change is difficult. Um, we have a lot of different things that compete with our interests, our mental state, our um, time and attention. And so we need things that help keep us forming on the kinds of behaviors and the habits that we want. But what attracted me to MarketPoint is it gives me the ability to be closer to the member. So I'll give you an example on that. Um, in my first four months, I was able to go and follow an agent and we sat down at a community center there were members there in this community in this community center that were not humana members but they were of the same age and just as sweet and still need the same type of health care benefits they may not be a humana member now but one day i believe they will we sat and we took rocks and we painted rocks. Kindness, Kindness rocks. rocks. Yes. And we were there with men and women of all ages who were invested in painting rocks. And within those conversations, we didn't talk about products. We didn't talk about what Humana could do for you. We talked, we built the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that experience began to affirm that I have found my career home because I had such an attachment there that that agent experience with those members were exactly what you hear Bruce Broussard speak about, what Brian Kane speaks about in The Investors, but I got to live it. And so it was an affirmation that I found my, the right place for me. Because we put the people, our members, at the wine. Yes. A part of our bold goal and all the work that we do through community work and then also just making the lives of the communities we serve better. That's right. Not even even if they are not the Medicare age beneficiaries that's or, right. and whatnot. So that's, that's right. just corporate social responsibility to me. And I, I love being a part of a company yeah. that, you know. I asked the question to one of the young, um, I'm going to say, um, um, ladies that was sitting next to me. And she was... Um, you know, very intently painting her rock. And I said, hey, does any other health plan do, do this? No, they don't. Now, they come out and talk to us about the products, um, and but there's nobody like my Humana agent that does this. Mm -hmm. So as simple as painting rocks mm. may find, it has been an advocate for building relationships and then in turn impacting the lives of our members and then even... Um, I would say even getting prospective members in the future. Mm -hmm. It is go time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if I always tell people, if you're bored in healthcare, you, you must have your head in the ground. Um, and if you don't like change, then healthcare is probably not right for you. You probably, you, and, and I know some, several of our associates, and if they're, if they're listening, 
you know, want to say, want to ask, you know, is change, are we going to stop changing? And my message to you is no. You don't want us to stop changing. Right now. I mean, if you're satisfied with the health care delivery in this country, fair enough. But my view is it's the highest cost and the lowest quality is the least value. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we spend more in health care than any other country, and yet we our burden of disease is high and, you know, quality is not where it could be. And, and you want Humana pushing on this stuff. You want change. Um, and and, you, and, and I, I would challenge you to try to find ways to embrace that change. Well, I think it would be a good time to switch gears, and I, I would love to hear from you from that Women's Network resource group perspective. So we'd love to hear about um, just career advice you'd have. Um, you know, what has been what is what is something that you've been told or you tell people in terms of career development? Yeah. And thank you for asking that. So, um, my father gave me some great advice, and it was that the breaks will come. And if you think back on your careers, probably you've had breaks. Um, you know, somebody somebody left a position that you could then go into, or somebody left a work product that you were able to redesign and make better than ever. And that was really great advice because he didn't stop with the breaks will come. It was you have to be ready when they get there. So that just means you have to show up every day. I mean, people are watching you every day. You are building a brand or not every single day. You never know, and this is a small world, and you never know when that person that you were with in the elevator and had a really good conversation with will end up advocating for you. So the breaks will come. you got to be ready. And that was the other one is you need to build a pretty good pipeline of advocates. And I call them advocates versus mentors. Um, because mentors will help you in your career and give you a, a, a touchstone for advice to be you know give advice or take advice etc but an advocate is going to be a vocal proponent of you and that's what you need in your career to keep moving up you've got to have somebody when you're not in the room that's using your name and that goes back to you know the branding too um, and, and on that the line of the advocate, we've all grown up hearing, um, oh, it's who you know, it's who you know. And I've watched over the years that change a little bit, and it's really who knows you, <laughs> right? So who's going to say your names when the job comes open? Mm-hmm. So it, thank you for that. One of the things I try to tell the people that I work with, my my directs is, I know you're doing incredible work, but how do you advocate for yourself? How, you know, what do you do to ensure that those around you know the great work you're doing? And I think sometimes as women, we don't advocate enough for ourselves, or we don't, you know, uh, display the showcase, act- showcase, showcase what we're yeah. doing. And so this, this particular opportunity through the podcast and just over the past couple months has, has been very enlightening in terms of how do I Put that out there. This is what I'm doing. I'm proud of it. It's not boastful. It's not being proud. It's it's just what you got to do in this yeah. world. Giving yourself credit for your 
That's right. That's how I decide they get. How you own it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Take your credit. We all tend to be so modest. Right. And there is a difference in being boastful and taking your credit. Um, but we tend to be modest. Yeah. Hey there, listeners. Please make sure to leave us comments, questions, and if there's any tips, tricks, and advice you would like to give us as well, make sure to put that on our Buzz page. And in this brand new year, let's make it the best ever and start giving ourselves a pat on the back for all the great work we do as Humana Associates. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next week. And that's it for this episode. Make sure to text WNRG to 239-355 so you can catch us next week. This podcast is produced by Melissa Nichols. We also want to thank you for spending time with us this week. And we always want to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts in our Buzz group, WNRG podcast series, or by tagging us. We couldn't do this without you. Until next time, be intentional, stay curious, and inspire others.